Commencing countdown. Three, two, one. This is the Contracting Experience. Connecting government contracting professionals to the world around them through conversations with acquisition influencers, insights into evolving hot topics, and sharing lessons learned from the field. Hello, my name is Amber Pecorero, and I am the host of the Contracting Experience Podcast. I am a procurement analyst at the Air Force Materiel Command, based out of Wright-Patterson Air Force Base in Ohio. This is actually my first time hosting a podcast, but I will tell you that I'm excited about the opportunity, and I do genuinely care that this podcast is valuable to the government contracting folks listening. Although many of the interviews may be with acquisition folks from the Air Force at first, My goal is to interview individuals that can provide relevant and useful information no matter what agency or organization they reside from. So you might ask, why a contracting podcast? Well, we are all inundated with more media and information than we're really able to take in at times. A podcast gives you the power to decide how, when, and where you're going to engage with the information you will hear on this Contracting Experience podcast. My intent is for this to be a productive medium connect with the government contracting workforce. This means, for example, you can hear what your senior leader's vision of acquisition agility is while taking a walk or driving into work. If you have suggestions for topics or people to interview or just feedback on the podcast, you can submit those at thecontractingexperience at gmail.com. I may not have time to respond to every email, but I will definitely take your suggestions into consideration in order to make this podcast as valuable as possible and connect government contract professionals to the world around them. All right, today on the Contracting Experience Podcast, we have Miss Heidi Bullock, who is a member of the Senior Executive Service and is Director of Contracting for Headquarters Air Force Material Command Contracting Directorate. Welcome, Miss Bullock. Thanks, Amber. I just uh, want to start out by thanking you for supporting this podcast. First of all, um, this is something that's brand new to what um, Air Force Material Command Contracting is doing. I'm excited to be a part of it thus far, and I'm, I'm hoping that it's very valuable to the contracting professionals out there. Absolutely, and thanks for setting this up, and I think it's a valuable tool, and I'm hoping that the workforce uh, finds it valuable and gives us other ideas of speakers and topics that they would like to learn more about. Definitely. So to jump into the questions, um, you have over 33 years of service with the Air Force. Can you tell me about where you're from and how you got involved with the Air Force? Sure. I am from Connecticut originally, and my dad was an Air Force Reserve officer. And when I was graduating from high school, I really did not know what I wanted to be when I grow up. I still don't know what I want to be when I grow up. Uh, But because of that, I looked for a college that had the Reserve Officer Training Corps. And I attended school in Vermont, graduated from college, and was commissioned through the Reserve Officer Training Corps and entered the Air Force uh, as a second lieutenant. And uh, one of my assignment was in missiles and it was in the late 80s, early 90s, uh, when they were drawing down uh, the Minuteman II missile weapon system. And as a result, I was selected for education with industry and transitioned to contracting, into contracting 
uh, through education with industry and uh, started my contracting career at Tinker buying uh, spare parts for aircraft. And so that's how I got into contracting and uh, I kept saying that I would continue to do contracting as long as I enjoyed it and I was learning things and I was having fun and I was making a difference. And uh, so uh, since about 1992, I have been in contracting and I'm still having fun and I'm still learning things and I hope I'm making a difference. Awesome. Uh, so you talked a little bit about some of the, the places you've worked, but um, as we know, every person, person's career in contracting is a little different. So uh, can you tell us a little bit more about the different experiences that you've had throughout your career? Um, you were military and then became civilian. Most of your career was military, became civilian and now part of the um, senior executive service. Um, and then how that brought you to your current position um, as the director of Air Force Material Command Contracting Directorate. Sure, I've had a, a host of uh, varied contracting uh, jobs. I have been assigned to Defense Contract Management Agency, so I've, I've learned the uh, administrative side of the house, if you will. Uh, I've deployed twice to Iraq, so I have some contingency uh, stink on me, for lack of a better mm -hmm. term. I was in the airborne uh, laser program office down in Albuquerque and so uh, that was a major systems uh, and I was able to work with at the time Colonel Polakowski, uh, now retired General Polakowski. So um, those were some of them. I was also assigned to Headquarters Air Force Mobility Command uh, at Scott Air Force Base and uh, there I got to work with the Civilian Reserve Aircraft Program and uh, also did, I got to do my first source selection there uh, for air terminal services in uh, Guam and um, Japan and Korea. So, um, and I've been assigned to headquarters AFMC PK. This is my third assignment. I had one as a military officer as my staff tour. And then I, uh, my first civilian job was GS-14 here on AFMC PK staff. And now I'm the director. So I've had three tours as well as, uh, at AFMC uh, PK. And then the other two primary jobs that I've had, one was as the Agile Combat Support Organizational Senior Functional, uh, where I worked with uh, John Miller, who was the program executive officer. Agile Combat Support was a great opportunity, had 225 indirect reports, if you will, for contracting, worked with uh, simulators division, did a, did a ton of source selections there as well. Uh, so that was a really, did that job for three years, very, uh, really enjoyed that job. And then uh, for 15 months, I was the executive director for Air Force Installation Contracting Agency, uh, which again, focuses primarily on strategic sourcing, category management, and the operational side of the contracting uh, spectrum. So wide variety of experiences throughout uh, Air Force contracting. Haven't really done any lab type uh, of work, if you will, with the laboratory with AFRO, with Air Force Research Lab. Uh, but I think for the most part, I've, I've touched a, a good portion of, of Air Force contracting. Well, now you oversee them and they're one of the centers of Air Force Materiel Command, so you get to see a lot of what they do through that as Absolutely. well. Absolutely, and learn um, all the great things and how they're transitioning technology and the basic research and uh, just really a very uh, cool organization and cool center for uh, moving us forward uh, as we meet our adversaries' uh, capabilities. Right. So um, other than your current job, what have been your top two favorite jobs in your career and why? So uh, my favorite job 
is uh, the logistics career broadening job that I got at Tinker because I met my husband. And he always tells me that if I don't say that that is my <laughs> favorite job, um, I'm in trouble at, in the home department. So, so check, you took care of that. So he'll check, be happy. Check, he, he will be happy with that. I would have to say uh, it's tough because I've enjoyed uh, the majority of my, uh, my assignments. Uh, the, I would say the one that uh, really helped me tremendously was working in the Airborne Laser SPO. My division chief uh, was a GS-15 lady named Mary Jackson, and Mary was just uh, phenomenal. She was super smart. She was very creative. She was very innovative. She was very diplomatic. She worked well with uh, everyone. She was collaborative. She brought in Defense Contract Management Agency to support the Airborne Laser SPO. She brought in uh, Defense Contract Audit Agency when it came time to uh, Review the proposals and the rates and so forth. So she was she was just uh, she worked well with the program management. Uh, General Polakowski still cites her as you know the ideal uh, contracting officer, and Mary just uh, attached me to her hip and showed me the ropes and and let me just learn through osmosis. And um, it was just a great uh, experience to to see. Uh, some seasoned pro like Mary Jackson uh, working her magic. Awesome. So the 2018 National Defense Strategy highlights reforming the Department of Defense for great performance and affordability under its strategic approach. It references delivering performance at the speed of relevance. What does that mean for contracting? So first of all, contracting is critical to the national defense strategy. When you think about the capability that the Air Force brings to the fight, whether it's a satellite, whether it's an aircraft, whether it's a command and control, uh, whether it's air superiority, uh, whether it's the uh, airlift capability uh, that the Army and the other services utilize in order to get to the fight, whether it's the logistics piece, I would venture 98% of all of that is obtained through a contract or agreement, Some something we, the Air Force, do not organically build our own capability in the sense we don't build the F-16, right. we don't build the F-22. So, so contracting is critical to the national defense strategy and how the Air Force gets that capability to the fight. So the speed of relevance, I would contend is that when you look at what our near-peer adversaries are doing, i.e. China and Russia, they have moved far ahead where before they were behind. They are now, if not equal with us, even further ahead of us. And so we have got to figure out a way to ensure that we can match that and actually exceed that. And so for contracting, whether it's something small as in, um, you know, this is gonna be in my inbox again tomorrow, so I'm not gonna tackle it today, I'll just tackle it tomorrow. I would encourage our folks, no, try to start tackling that today. Try to finish that, move that, um, whether it's reviewing a market research report, whether it's uh, drafting an, uh, an RFI, whether it's conducting a meeting. Take that extra step, do that little bit extra to move us forward. But it also means, the speed of relevance also means critically thinking and asking ourselves, why are we doing something? And if it's not value added, mm -hmm. and if it, it's not, say, tied to statute, if it's not, there's not a valid reason of why we're doing something, let's critically think and say, do we really need this? And what's the benefit of this? And if we don't need it, then let's, let's do away with it. Let's work with our leadership, let's work with our chain of command, and say, um, no, let's do away with it. A good example, and 
for the folks out there is this isn't necessarily directed per se to contracting, but I just came across a situation earlier this week where we had levied a requirement in order to process um, permanent change of station orders uh, to receive more paperwork, and it was redundant to what the personnel community was already doing. So I just engaged with the career field team as well as with General Holt's um, uh, HR department mm -hmm. and said, why are we doing this and can we just do away with it? Because it's just slowing down the process. It's not adding any value. And Mr. Bennett, uh, AQCX, said, sure. and you know, it basically rescinded the requirement. So again, it just takes folks to be thinking about, is this value added? Does it contribute to the end product, whatever that end product may be? And if the answer is no, then let's let's look at that and, and diplomatically and respectfully say, why are we doing this? Right. No, I think that's a very important point. And it's um, even just at the, the, the worker level on at the contracting officers and the buyers out there and pricers, um, is to understand, like you said, why you're doing something, but also prioritizing your, your, your own self. So understand why you're doing what you're doing and then look at what you do day to day, prioritize, okay, am I doing what makes the most sense to, to reach this ultimate goal, um, which you know trickles down from the national defense strategy of what we're doing, which are some of the things that you had talked about. But um, if, if people go and do that and they can even help their supervisor understand, okay, I, I know my program, this is what I'm buying, here's why I'm buying it, and so these are the reasons why I need to do these things. Um, and they can help their supervisors and leadership understand, and that, that communication along the board you know, will hopefully reach that ultimate goal of meeting that mission. Absolutely, and, and that's key is, again, prioritizing. And I would encourage our workforce, sometimes it's easy, and I'm guilty of this as well, uh, it's easy to do the um, easy things or, or not tackle those tough, uh, meaty projects because they're really hard and I'm not sure how to go about it. And, but sometimes we just have to, you know, sort of um, dive into the deep end of the pool and, right. and not just, you know, cautiously put our toe in and say, oh, well, the water is not too, too bad. Right. So uh, Dr. William Roper is the Assistant Secretary of the Air Force for Acquisition Technology and Logistics. His August 10th memo talks about the Department of Defense Instruction 5002 and rapid acquisition. In the memo, Dr. Roper says that 5002 with scissors should start with a traditional acquisition plan and remove all steps that aren't needed with brutal minimalism. He goes on to say that looking ahead, I'm updating guidance to our contracting and business professional. You are all vital to our acquisition family. And aside from building stronger bridges between contracting and program management, I want to encourage you to be daring mavericks using contracting strategies and incentives to get the best out of industry. So with that said, um, what is being communicated at higher leadership levels regarding rapid acquisition? And then as a follow-on question, how is that message being communicated to the worker level teams out in the field? I would say several different ways, several, several different ven venues. General Holt, uh, myself, Mr. Robinson, Mr. Bauman, uh, all of the senior leaders um, in Air Force contracting, all the directors of contracting, uh, that have multiple centers that are in multiple geographical areas. Mm -hmm. uh, I know General Holt has gone out and visited a lot of the organizations and he still has a lot of organizations to go. Mm -hmm. I know General Trevino has been out visiting all of her operational units in FICA and she's got a, a wide breadth 
of geographical uh, territory to cover between yes. Europe, PACAF, uh, the Pacific, as well as uh, obviously the United States. I, uh, when I got in my job, I, I went out to the major AFMC bases. So I believe your senior leaders are absolutely going out there. They're, they're visiting the organizations, they're visiting the folks, and they're holding town halls, and they're giving uh, talks as to where Air Force contracting is going and, and why we need to be able to be mavericks and why we need to be able to tailor why we need to have that collaboration with the other functionals, particularly the program management side of the house, mm -hmm. and why this is important, again, back to the national defense strategy and being able to match what China and Russia are doing, that is, that is key. So the first thing I think is we're, we are all collectively, as senior leaders, going out and visiting the folks, but also General Holt is uh, had just uh, recently, I believe it was last week, uh, it was, excuse me, it was in September, September 19th, sent out his first fireside chat, which explains what his thinking is. And he's, uh, he's brought in and created what he calls the board of directors, which are the senior leaders in Air Force contracting to lay out where he would like to take Air Force contracting as a whole. And we obviously, in Air Force Material Command last year, we were responsible for, in FY18, we were responsible for 79% of the Air Force spend. Mm -hmm. And so obviously we are a critical uh, player when it comes to Air Force contracting. And so he is laying out his uh, where he wants to take Air Force contracting, how he's trying to streamline things, how he's trying to delegate to the lowest, most appropriate level. Mm -hmm. And so he is getting, he is getting that message out. Uh, and we are doing, and at our own various levels, we are also articulating and giving that message and talking to folks. And we have the other, uh, we have a director's telecom. And again, try to stress this is the information that we have and get that disseminated down to the lowest PCO. Now, I am the first to acknowledge that we probably could do a much better job in that communication realm. And again, hopefully maybe with this podcast or other venues like this, we can get the word out uh, to the folks and, and solicit questions and get also feedback as well as suggestions as to how we can improve things and how we can be more efficient and, and tailor uh, to help again get us to uh, meeting our peers. Right. Well, thank you. So with that, I do actually do have some questions from the field. Um, and this might, you know, creep into some of some of the things that you had just said. But uh, the first one is, what is being done at Air Force Material Command to invoke agility across the command? So we're taking uh, several different approaches uh, in several different areas. So the first thing, one of the things that I'd like to cite is that in May of this year, I delegated to the uh, center, or excuse me, the senior center contracting officials, the basically your directors of contracting for the AFMC centers, the ability to uh, assign agreements officers. They did not need to come up to headquarters AFMC. Mm -hmm. And I was just at the Air Force Lifecycle Management Center's uh, industry days in uh, the middle of September, a couple of weeks ago. Mm -hmm. And uh, there was a discussion about uh, other transactions. Mm -hmm. And the colonel who was briefing it said that uh, in May, after that came out, LCMC, Lifecycle Management Center, went from five agreements officers to 30 agreements officers in less than three weeks. And so I think that is 
very agile, and that is helping uh, assisting Life Cycle Management Center meet the mission. Mm -hmm. Additionally, we have uh, subject matter experts. We are the seasoned pros up here on headquarters staff, mm -hmm. and so I would point to mm -hmm. Janice Muskoff's Soul Source Streamlining Tool, which is a collection of best practices designed to facilitate negotiations for those large dollars, say over $10 million. Mm -hmm. It can be used at lower than $10 million, but right. it's really designed for those large dollar buys with the major defense contractors. So again, when you're doing a multi-lot buy for the C-130, right. Uh, this is, these are tools that, again, can streamline and reduce the amount of time necessary to get onto contract. Likewise, uh, Janice was the impetus for Mr. Assad at the Defense Pricing uh, Contracting Organization up at OSD mm -hmm. and was able to get the sweeps memo. Uh, yeah. signed out, in which in the team, I'm sure the folks listening to this will appreciate that sometimes it took a while for the contractors in the sole source environment to get the certificate of certified cost or pricing right. uh, data in a timely manner. And right. so now because of that memo, um, they are given five days advice, say four months. Right. So we're, I believe we're helping agility there. Additionally, we're collaborating with our fellow directorates here on staff, here at Headquarters Air Force Material Command. So we have uh, the A9 organization can do analysis. And so both Lifecycle Management Center and AFRL has uh, used the A9 team to analyze their timelines associated with their various types of buys mm -hmm. across, uh, for example, for AFRL across their five sites that uh, Air Force uh, Research Lab has. And Life Cycle Management Center also was able to give them their sole source 50 to 500 million timelines of historical data from uh, 2013 forward. And they, A9 was the honest broker. They were able to identify the choke points. They were identify, able to identify the good actors as well as the bad actors, where perhaps an acquisition might have gone off the rails. If you right. didn't get a proposal, a qualified proposal within 60 days, you know, did you still meet uh, right. your timeline? And so as an honest broker, they were able to identify those points and give that analysis to Life Cycle Management Center leadership as well as uh, Air Force Research Lab leadership. And again, it just, it highlights what we as a profession already know if you don't get a qualified proposal on time, it makes it hard to award on time. Definitely. If you don't get the tech eval, you know, on time, uh, might cause us to have problems right. with negotiations. Right. So that was, again, very beneficial. So that's where we're trying from a, from a process perspective and from a training perspective mm -hmm. and from an organization perspective, that's where we're, we're injecting agility into the overall system. Right. So if, if you could change one thing about the acquisition process right now, what would it be? I would love to try to figure out how to get the requirements to be laid flat mm -hmm. to begin with. Uh, you know, the requirement is, is so important, and I, I suspect the audience is going to be saying, duh, <laughs> but <laughs> it really is key. And if we can get the requirement right, and if we can ask the right questions with the requirement, um, then, then we can get it, then we have such greater opportunity, a higher percentage of getting it right the first time that vice going back and doing a lot of, of scrap or rework or right. modifications. So the requirement, I know people know this, but 
it's key to getting the requirement as correct as you can up front. Well, and I think that's key for the folks working out there too, because in contracting, we're not necessarily in, tr in control of what the requirement is and if it's going to change. But if we can help uh, make the connections with the, the program managers out there, with the engineers, and why we need them to help help explain this or, or you know document it, you know, in a way that is more appropriate for the contractors to be able to bid to it, or you know, so when we put it out on the street, it makes sense to to contractors, so that way they're not coming in with a whole host of questions after we after we release um, the RFP, the request for, for proposal, um, which you know they may still do anyway. But um, but if we can make it as clear as possible. Um, it's only going to help your acquisition from when you actually get the proposals in and you have proposals that you can actually start evaluating from the start rather than having to go back and say, well, you didn't explain this well enough. Um, and then and then going in and making your position, getting that figured out, getting to negotiations, getting it awarded so that way you can you know start executing and meeting those missions. Absolutely. Uh, so what are some ch some new challenges that you see the contracting community facing in the next five to ten years? So I think the first challenge for contracting or that I worry about is just uh, attracting and retaining uh, the talent that we need in order to do our job. Contracting is complex. It requires critical thinking. It requires uh, excellent oral and written skills. Mm -hmm. And so there, and there are lots of other organizations and jobs out there that require those same type of skills. Mm -hmm. And so how do we retain, how do we attract, and then how do we retain uh, our workforce that we want to retain? You know, that's, I think it, that's, if we don't have the workforce, everything else can be for naught if, if we don't have the resources. Um, I think some other challenges is, is in the data analytics. I would, uh, I really think our IT systems, uh, whether it's the new uh, ConIT, the new contract writing system that is being deployed uh, out to the Air Force in various increments or uh, other forms of IT, but from a data analytics, I would love to be able to, we have a lot of data, but I, I'm loathe to query the field or task the field to do manual pulls of that information in order to analyze it and be able to uh, change direction. So if we could also invest in the IT end of it so that we can then uh, the second piece of that would be to look to the data analytics. And then I think at some point, I don't know if this is a challenge because I think challenges are really opportunities. Mm -hmm. They are not challenges, they're opportunities. So downstream, I do think that we will be able to automate some of the, um, let's say, less complex, repeatable type buys that, you know, um, you, for example, know that you're, you go through uh, seven reams of paper, you know, every month. Okay, so let's just have automatic reordering um, and, and let's focus our folks on those more complex, those higher dollar types of acquisitions that require that, that human critical thinking skill and the ability to collaborate with our stakeholders across the board. Uh, let's focus there as opposed to, again, where we can automate. I do think we're going to be able to automate. So that's another opportunity vice, vice a challenge. Right. And I think that's exciting. You know, it gives, it gives people an outlook of, hey, you know, we're looking to innovate in the way we're, you know, we're doing things in the government. And as we should, they're doing it out in, in the commercial industry and we should be doing that as well. Automation is, um, huge. I think it'd be huge for our, our 
work field out here, what we're doing, and like you said, let us concentrate on, on the more complex acquisitions um, that really are the bang for the buck and really hit those um, critical missions that we're, that we're trying to support. Absolutely. So um, in my short time here at, um, on staff here at the, at the command level, um, thus far I have learned that you like to make banana bread for your employees. And actually our sound guy, Matt, was the benefit of that today, lucky guy. Um, so what do you enjoy to do outside of work? And then how does that influence your ability to perform at work? So uh, I enjoy reading and I, I get the New York Times every Sunday and they have a book review and I highlight in the New York Times various books that I want to read. I, I'm up to something, uh, I, last time I checked, about 1,012 books that I still have to read. Yeah. Uh, but I enjoy reading and uh, I'm able to leverage that in, my, in, the, in the workforce, in, in, in my job by what, is, uh, what are some of the recent leadership books or management books or, or feedback, anything that I can use and incorporate it in my day-to-day -day job, I, I always try to, to leverage that as well. Um, so I do enjoy reading. Uh, the other thing I enjoy doing is I, uh, and it's the prime time, is, is NFL football. Mm -hmm. I am um, a big NFL fan, and so when uh, Sunday night has a really good game, uh, like uh, my Chiefs, and, uh, and then they, but they don't win until 11.30 or quarter of, of 12, it makes going to bed a little bit yeah. <laughs> problematic. And so I don't get as much beauty sleep uh, on those uh, when they have good Sunday or Monday night games. But uh, I, enjoy, I enjoy football, NFL football, and enjoy reading. So. so you mentioned reading. So what are some recent books that you've read or some that maybe you not, haven't read recently, but just that you have really enjoyed and one book that I, I uh, try to give out to folks uh, is called The Corner Office by Adam Bryant. And um, this is uh, what Mr. Bryant did was he interviewed, I believe, um, I believe about 200 and plus corporate executives and just for tips and techniques uh, that they used in their companies or with their initiatives or their nonprofits. And it's a very, uh, I found it to be a very easy read, but I also found it uh, where I was highlighting a lot of sections of it because there were lots of great tips. So mm -hmm. I, uh, when folks uh, that are here on staff uh, say, for example, graduate from professional military education when they complete Air Command and Staff College or uh, Air War College. I just give them the book and say, hey, you might, you may want to read this. It's not uh, heavy reading and it didn't make my head hurt. And if right, it didn't make right. my head hurt, then it's probably okay. Um, but so that's one. Um, another one that uh, I, I just started reading is um, Ron Sherlow's book on um, Ulysses Grant, and it's something like 500 and God knows how many pages, so that'll, I've that'll take away. I've heard that's a really good book. It's, it, it, he is, he, he's an excellent author, and it is a good book, but it's, um, it could be a book stop also. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for sharing that. Um, so this will be the last question, and, and we'll wrap up, but um, what is your favorite part about your job? So my favorite part uh, about the job is uh, people. So when I get to go out and about, and I, I meet with, uh, I go to a center or I go to a base, I get to meet 
um, really super sharp folks who are doing fabulous things uh, for the Air Force, for contracting, uh, and for the mission. So for example, uh, when I went up to Rome Labs in, uh, in New York uh, this past February, I got to meet a gentleman named Kyle Bronlick, who is, unbeknownst to me, he is our OT subject matter expert. He is the guy that folks go to and uh, just constantly ask questions about how do you do this and he's a he's a phenomenal just picked up his warrant uh last february several months ago a uh, phenomenal guy and just doing great things um i also got to meet uh karen lone at hanscom and again by making this connection you know she uh she sent me a question and she said hey why do we do this <laughs> and i said oh that's a that's a good question. And she gave sound rationale because these we do these other things. So why are we why do we have to take the contracting officer's test and has it has it um, gone beyond its time? Is it still worthwhile? And uh, because of her her question, I are um, one of our initiatives for fiscal year 19 that we're going to tackle is doing a business case analysis of the, the contracting officer's test, and is it still value added, and is there still benefit to it? Mm -hmm. um, Greg Perry down at Eglund said, you know, we're losing folks or we're not looking at folks from other agencies who may have an unlimited warrant because it's not an Air Force unlimited warrant. Is there any way that you, is there any way we can reach out? Can we get, how do we get to these folks? Because we think they're qualified, but right. we're not sure how to get to them. And so another one of our initiatives is to benchmark uh, other agencies where we have a lot of cross flow between, for example, uh, general services agency or from the Army, the Navy and so forth, and look at what does their process, what does their warning process look like, and can we benchmark that against ours, and if it's equivalent, why shouldn't we be able to recognize their unlimited warrants? So, though, and that's just a, that's just a handful. I, I could, I could cite another dozen folks that I've met um, and the great things that they're either doing or the questions that they've said, hey, could you take a look at this, uh, that we're tackling here at headquarters AFMC uh, to benefit, benefit them. So for sure, um, it's the people out there. But the other favorite part of my job, uh, just uh, selfishly, is that at a personal level, the headquarters staff that I work with here, the other directors, um, the other two-letter directors, General Polakowski, uh, General Barry, Miss Young, these are just phenomenally super, super smart individuals that I have been able um, to interact with and observe uh, in a lot of meetings on how they handle things and how they think and, um, and how they lead. And I've been the benefactor by able to incorporate and just use that knowledge to say, okay, this is, oh, that's, wow, that's really good, right, and, right. and incorporate that. Um, and so I would say, you know, being able to work with, I, I get to work with really, really smart, superior leaders. Awesome. Well, and that's why I enjoy this podcast, because I get to then pick people I want to interview and say, oh, I want to get insight into what, into what they're doing. And um, so, so again, I want to thank you for your time today and your support of the podcast. And that's what I'm using it for. So, awesome. um, so thank you for your time. If you have suggestions for topics or people to interview or feedback on the podcast, you can submit those at thecontractingexperience at gmail.com. I want to thank you all for listening to the Contracting Experience Podcast. Until next time, keep connecting to the world around you.